Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Hello, 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 you're very welcome to the show, this is the second <laughs> Captain's June bank holiday football podcast and what a bank holiday weekend it's been, hi Ken, hi Karen. Hi Owen, you seem to be in a very good mood. Too. Great form Ken, great yeah. form, yeah, well it's a bank holiday Monday. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. I'm working, wait, wait a second, that shouldn't make me... <laughs> Well, I love my job. Nevertheless. It's okay. Yeah. Nevertheless. I mean, mm. in reasonable humor, yeah. We had Christiana. Christiana I think it was like the, sp- the, the seventh hello there that hello, suggested hello, to me maybe hello. it was some forced bonhomie on uh, McDevitt's part, but <laughs> nevertheless. I know. Well, it was just so much good stuff happening in the football world. Ronaldo's double strike in Cardiff. Oh. Amazing. Mario Mandzukic's golazzo in the same game. Mm-hmm. The latest James McLean screamer. Oh. As Jim Beggins Thunder said. bastard. Yeah. yeah. What? The latest James McLean thunder bastard. It's an it's a it's a net, it's a word on for a very hard shot that really smacks okay. into the net. Well, that's that, mm. that's what it was, yeah. As Jim Beckman said in co-commentary for RTE, uh, you now expect James McLean to score those goals, <laughs> yeah. which, which, which is true. Well, I'm still a little bit surprised when the, he scores in such style, mm. but it's good for him to have those kinds of strikes in the memory banks. I think no doubt about the moment of the weekend, though. I think we all are aware of what it is. Yeah, you were just looking at it again before we came on air. Ken. Ryan Giggs' nutmeg. Uh, and Jamie Carragher and Michael Carrick's testimonial at Old Trafford. Look, what I, a nutmeg. I know these testimonial games are really a load of old toss. And it's it's and and the gags are cheap and everyone's it's it's all a little bit backsleppy and something gradually. But that Ryan Giggs nutmeg on Jamie Carragher was extremely funny. You can't nutmeg a man from two yards that's away. It. It was and the yet, that's it. That's what Giggs did. You could, you could see how funny Carragher thought it was as well in real time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Carragher's uh, efforts to barge uh, Giggs over the sense of giving away a penalty uh, somewhat undermined by the fact that he was laughing hysterically. What was great about it was that Jamie Carragher was not party to it. You know, you see, there was, what charity match was it recently where Rene Higuita was playing and you see him running past an attacker and running out the field and passing the ball, but nobody was trying to tackle him. Mm. Whereas with this, 
you could see that Carragher was looking to execute a tackle and Kiggs saw what was coming a mile off and just played this little deft flick with the outside of his left foot through the legs of Carragher. Yeah, Carragher did find it funny as he tried to rugby tackle him to the ground. Still looking pretty uh, pretty quick, Ryan Giggs. Could do a job. Whatever, yeah. what is he now, 44? I feel sorry for Mandzukic actually because his goal has been almost forgotten. Although at least he got to stick it to the critics. And by critics, Ken, I'm talking about the people I was watching the game with. So... You came straight back from Kilkenny after a show at the Cat Laughs. Yes. I stayed down there. I was watching the game in a pub after we did that show. Uh, mm. At the risk of name dropping here, I was watching the match with Murph. Not really a name drop. Former Republic of Ireland international Richie Sadler. Semi-clang. And international comedy superstar Dara O'Brien. Oh. Clang! Yeah. Wow. I can show you a photo here, Ken, if you oh, don't okay. believe me. You don't, you don't think I believe you. You've got a photo. Uh... You're sitting there d- beside Dara O'Brien. If it's the same photograph that I think I've seen, it's I'm not in it. He's edited me out. No, you're not. You're nowhere to be <laughs> yeah, seen. Yeah, she's there. I'm there. It's just Owen and and Dara both staring straight ahead at what what must be the television showing the Champions League. So there I was listening to Murph trying to impress Dara with his football knowledge, and the two of them agreeing wholeheartedly during the first half that Mario Mandzukic. Not really up to much, is he? Ah, oh, come on. Bit overrated, this big lump of a lad. What a load of nonsense. And I'm thinking... Si- I'm saying si- this, you. Me, me and me, me and Dara were uh, in total agreement. I'm sitting there silently disagreeing, but as being too, too big, polite to... As two big lumps ourselves, <laughs> yeah. we, we decided to hate on one of our own. Of course, then the goal goes in, and yeah, immediately won over. Curia, uh, cue uproarious laughter and backslapping. We're going to have that show out tomorrow on the World Service, by the way. Dara O'Brien and David O'Doherty in amazing form at Langton's in Kilkenny. Really enjoyed it, and thanks very much to everybody who, who came along there. Secondcaptains.com for details on how to join up to the World Service for a five or a month plus VAT. You may be picking up some background noise. It's actually died off a little bit, just as, as I've said that. But if you do hear anything over the course of the next little while... It's because we've inadvertently found ourselves right in the middle of one of the great bank holiday, June bank holiday traditions here in Dublin, the women's mini marathon. Oh, yeah, just outside. I yeah. think we should open the window, actually, and listen to the... You could have the... The, the tunes were... There, were... there were some uh, There's serious no bangers yeah, the uh, we just had about bl- half an hour ago. But b- Boys and Girls by Blur. They're still a little bit away from the actual yeah. start of it. So I don't Maybe know, at we the have end got... of the show, we'll... Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll pop what's... it open by the end of the show. We have got a massive, big uh, screen outside us here, so that'll hopefully alert us to... Mm. It's full of uh, enthusiastic, encouraging slogans. Faster and further. Go past the max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the usual. That's what it is. Okay, Miguel and Jonathan Wilson are going to talk to us about the Champions League a little bit later on. You're going to report on a bit of sport. Yeah, another nice moment of the weekend uh, was what's becoming traditional at these Champions League finals is the excited the video of a of an incredibly excited seventy uh, five year old man, Alex Ferguson. <laughs> Waiting to get his hands on Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> How are you, boss? How are you, boss? Come over here. Let the big bear get his paws on. Oh, you. And he's straight in there. Straight hands on the torso. Oh, Ronaldo, magnificent. Oh, you're amazing. Slapping the horse flesh. You know, uh, little Ronaldo, of course, uh, was there. So, so Fergie remembered to sort of tussle his head and say, "Great to see you, little Ronaldo." Uh, but it was really big, Ronaldo. That he was interested in. I'd love to see it. just how excited Ferguson gets when he sees his old player. He loves him so much. Yeah. I've never seen such affection for 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 a long departed player. Yeah, I don't think he would treat any of his other former. A long departed player way. who also left by choice. Oh yeah, he left Manchester United and for the bigger time, things. For bigger things. By the time he left, he he had already 
started substituting himself. Remember the time he decided he was injured and just walked off the pitch? Yeah. <laughs> Not giving Ferguson any time to get a substitute warmed up. He was bigger than Ferguson, bigger than the club. And maybe that's what's imp- what, what impresses Alex Ferguson at yeah. this stage of his life yeah. and of his career. It's guys who are bigger than he... Yeah, he doesn't. He he he. No See what feelings. you like about him. He's got a nice big pair of nuts on him, <laughs> pulling the stunt like that at Old Trafford. <laughs> uh, so that was great. But I mean, what can you say about Ronaldo? This is like a, a crowning glory sort of moment. He scored his 600th career goal in the Champions League final. 600. You have to add together the 529 club goals. I think maybe some of them were in, not that big matches in, in a sense there may be a little bit of Pele slash Romario mm. thousand goals all the goals he scored for the army and all that kind of stuff <laughs> uh, but but uh, 71 a couple of goals for, and escape to victory that kind of thing it's when, when you add the 529 <laughs> club goals to the to the 71 international goals uh, you get to 600 which is what he scored the second goal was the 600 now that's you know pretty phenomenal I mean, we, everybody knows that Ronaldo's a phenomenal player, but to do this in the Champions League final, the two goals uh, were both excellent. I think, the, I mean, the first one had a, a, a little deflection on it, but I think was was going to be a goal anyway. I think he's going to score that goal. Second goal was a lovely finish. I had a friend who was saying, "Oh, he shinned that one in." I was like, "What? Did he? Did I mean? I haven't seen the that second one. I thought he just knocked it in. No, I don't think it's a half volleyed it in. Yeah, he was, was kind of he clipped it into the into the corner." Um, where it was meant to go. Ah, your friend is obviously just emblematic of that just, you can't cohort please, of people please. out there who just are never going to be pleased by Ronaldo. There's a violence in our society, isn't there? Mm. Um, there's a there's a real bitterness. But, I mean, I, I've been to the previous couple of Real Madrid Champions League final wins. They, I mean, one of them was 4-1 as well against Atletico after extra time, but it really wasn't that impressive a performance. It was kind of a... They, they hammered a deflated team that had, had run out of energy... Uh, then there was the one-all where they were quite lucky in in a penalty shootout. Atletico missed the Griezmann missed the penalty in in normal time, and you know they were jammy. <laughs> and Ronaldo scored the winning penalty, and it was just like, oh come on, this is just this is he he doesn't deserve this. Mm-hmm. But you know you come back. I mean, he scores consecutive hat tricks to to beat Atletico to beat Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid. I mean, these are the top competitors they dispatched them we got to the final against Juventus a team that you know has kept Monaco scoreless has kept Barcelona scoreless is there completely on merit you know I expected them to win Juventus and to, and just to destroy them in the way that they did nobody can argue with that I assume there is there are cameras following Cristiano Ronaldo around this season as they're are every season probably yeah. to record some sort of a movie and this one could just focus purely on the knockout stages of this Champions League oh. I think you're going to get to the essence of Ronaldo there but funny you say that they were dominant and all that that's only in the second half I thought I, I, I didn't I think mean, they I was, were great I, didn't, I thought they were put to the pin of the collar a little bit in the first half didn't Juventus a huge played amount until they scored Juventus looked sort of on it I was quite impressed I thought when Juventus equalised hmm. well, hang on this, this could end up being an absolute classic because yeah. they, they're clearly not going to fold mentally here, mm. even though people are expecting Real to win, and yet they did fold mentally in the second half. Well, I, I thought, I mean, the first half was was amazing. It was like, wow, this is this is really one of the best Champions League finals we've ever seen. After uh, you know, at halftime, you're thinking, wow, this is this is incredible. Second half, okay, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, a a dominant display by one team. You know, it's up there with the. Uh, um, you know Milan beating Barcelona four 0 These types of or a couple of Barcelona, you know Barcelona against Manchester United a couple of years ago, uh, the in, at Wembley, um, 
and and against Juventus. No, they you know Madrid played better this time than Barcelona had managed to do against Juventus when they beat them uh, two years ago. Um, it was it was it was great. But I I, I mean I was watching at halftime. Uh, Liam Brady, for instance, was saying, you know, Juventus have have kind of controlled the game and been the better team here. And I, I thought, really, have they? I didn't think they. That wasn't my impression really watching it. Juventus were playing well, they were showing a lot of spirit, but I still thought Madrid were playing better football. Um, particularly, you know, with Modric and, and Kroos. Uh, in terms of their control of the game, the, the slick passing that they were showing, I thought this is really good, you know, and I didn't expect it to, them to run away with it the way they did, but when, after it, you know, you couldn't really, nobody could argue with anything. No. The one thing I would argue with is that too many children on the pitch at the end. I. I I, I am against that. Why? I just think, come on, guys. It's not about the kids. You know? I mean, I, I can see you all looking at me like... With no, some, no, no, I agree 3,000%. That you shouldn't have your kids on the pitch after winning. Yeah. Are you talking about the players' kids? Yeah. Yeah, I think it should be I think it should be That's players. I, th- I think, what about the supporters who've come here? You know, go and... It's, it should be bring you. Bring them? Bring yeah. the supporters on too? It you? should be you and the supporters. It shouldn't be like, oh, here we are now, all sitting here watching these... These guys with their families just ignore us. I know they were going up and like sort of you know, Sergio Ramos was there, sort of bringing his kids up to have a look at the fans and you know wave to them and all that kind of stuff. I just thought, nah, I don't, I don't want to see Sergio Ramos's kids. Look, oh, and I, I, I'm surprised that I've allowed myself to go down this. Surprised that Murph, I'm surprised you both agree with each other on this well, thorny we're both topic pretty, of we're both people pretty miserable of human beings sharing their finest moments in life with their. Kids, but yeah, but I, 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 I say on that. To me, it always just seems like like more display. Like the, these kids are more trinkets that they're showing off, like their tattoos or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just uh, <laughs> I, I, I find that they've instrumentalized the children here. It's just become more well. well that's what kids are these days, Ken. I mean, just look at Facebook. Yeah, exactly, it's, exactly. It's, <laughs> look at my kids. It seems like someone, someone commented how cute they are. Oh. Uh, bloody hell! Only ninety-one likes. Yeah. Un- unfollow, mute, <laughs> delete account. That I mean, but that probably says more about me. Maybe well, it says something about about both me and the people yeah. who are. Yeah, it can yeah. say something about both. We've been sidetracked, Ken. But we have been sidetracked. We have to. All we can say is congratulations to Madrid. Is Zinedine Zidane? They're um, mystifyingly, they're, they're sort of inscrutably excellent <laughs> coach. Uh, nobody he's really it. knows what it is that he's doing, but somehow it's all. Maybe it's just getting out of the way is the, is the secret. Yeah, or is it just that his uh, PR game isn't quite as finely honed as the best managers in the world currently operating in the Premier League, yeah. who all, in their various ways, have excelled in at least making sell, th- making them the absolute centre of the story all the time. Do you think he start, wants it? I think his PR game is just fine. I, I, I think he's comfortable well, enough. His PR game is perfect because he's a, he was an absolutely brilliant f- footballer. Yeah. And there isn't the, the at the core of his being a huge gaping chasm of self-doubt. Exactly, yeah. He, he doesn't have to create a persona for himself as a manager. Yeah. He can be as boring as he needs yeah, to be. Yeah, but like, you know, I, I, I kind of think, right, okay, on the PR front, that's fine. But is it, does that actually transmit into, you know, our ideas of how important tactics are in football? I mean, if you're the real, now, I, you know, there, are, there are obviously, you know, there's there are, uh, degrees of all this, but, I mean, if a manager doesn't talk about the tactics that he uses, is he using them at all? Yeah. Like, you know, there's like a fundamental philosophical question at play here. That if if a manager isn't bleating on about how important his tactical decisions are, yeah. are they then un- unimportant? I don't know. I mean, it seems to me, like, I, I think, I think, what's the most famous team talk Alex Ferguson ever gave? The halftime of the Champions League. No. 
you, the, it's, all, you, it's the you, shortest you, you, and most famous. You're going to walk by and we, touch it's the that only trophy. team talk that we know in its entirety. We know the entire back, team talk. Back, 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 back him. No, 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 no. We know the we know the entire content of the team talk that he gave. We, we get have, rid of the. Well, that wasn't really a team. No, talk. that was that was what he told Dave Brailsford. Uh, that was what Dave Dave Brailsford said. Ferguson's man, uh, managerial lesson to me was get rid of the. See you next Tuesdays. <laughs> that was that was the key to all management. Uh, no, it, it's it's lads. It's Tottenham. Oh yeah, that is the most famous Ferguson team talking. The only one that survives I- intact in in terms of we know exactly mm. what he said. Uh, maybe there are recordings which will emerge. Archivists will produce them in in later years as classified. You know, they they come out of uh, whatever the thirty year classified spell. But lads, it's Tottenham. And the reason that was a great team talk was it made it put the Manchester United players in the right frame of mind. That which is to say, we know that we will dominate Tottenham with contemptuous ease. We are so much better than them. We don't really have to worry about what they do. We are Manchester United. We will go out there and, you know, show the, the cruel gulf that exists between these two institutions, Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur. And I kind of feel as though for a team like Real Madrid, which have got so many good players, that's the way they want to feel about every game that they play. They want to be in that sort of frame of mind where it's, we are Real Madrid. You know, you are only Juventus or, you know, whoever else, whatever other team. Every other team is lads at Tottenham when you're at this uh, level. That's kind of how you want to feel. Now, of course, some games are going to be tougher than others. Sometimes teams are really going to put it up to you. Mm. But these, these kinds of teams don't want, to be, don't want to be sort of in a siege mentality. You know, like the, the sort of uh, Mourinho... Uh, Benitez, uh, let's we're going to war here. We've you know we've got to work for everything. We've got to be the most humble team in the world. No, <laughs> exactly not. We are not the most humble team in the world. We are the most arrogant team in the world, and we, we've got the best players. Nobody else has as many good players as us. And basically, football is about me being a better player than you. You know, at its at its, at its mm. basic level, I'm better than you, and I'm going to proceed to show that. That's kind of the way they want to feel. I think Zidane somehow. Has got has managed to make them feel that way. Uh, there's nothing maybe too clever, clever about it. He's not a system guy. He's not inventing anything here. He's just, it's just like yeah, come on. He's going to his entire football. We all know we've all played a lot of games of football. Just go out there and win this one. His entire management career will end up being one five-year spell at Real Madrid, in which he wins four Champions Leagues <laughs> and the three league titles. Well, like Perez is saying, he can stay here for the rest of his life. Which obviously going from Florentino Perez is, you know. He doesn't really mean it, but he's just trying to give the guy a compliment. Well, you're going to kill him next season? And, and of course... <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry. Just a bad chair to speech, sorry. Zidane Zidane, at the, uh, you know, afterwards, you know, he's, he's become the first manager to defend the Champions League. Guardiola couldn't do this. Uh, none, of the, none of the greats could, could do it. I mean, the, okay, the last team to actually retain it was, was Milan in 1990, but that was before it became, changed into mm. being the Champions League. And maybe that it goes back to the that original point, that it's just so tiring listening to a guy bleed on about the potential dangers and pit, uh, you know Pitfall. uh, pitfalls of playing uh, these high-quality teams all the time. I mean, yeah. it must be have been exhausting to be a Barcelona player preparing for a Bayern Munich European Cup semi-final yeah. or something like that. Whereas with this, it's like... Okay, so it's Sunday. We got a game on Wednesday. What will we meet up six o'clock Wednesday? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> it does give that impression. I mean, you know, the, the, we, we're maybe just seeing the the bald headed sedan duck gliding serenely across the surface of the water, and underneath is this frenetic activity. 
you know, a, a great deal of high-level management is going on. Or maybe it's just a duck, just, just enjoying a swim in its natural environment. Couldn't be happier. I mean, Zidane, after the game, he said, I can't say whether I'll stay for the rest of my life, but I'm so grateful for the club, for everything it has given me. I played here for a long time, and I feel part of the furniture. I'm also lucky to be part of this club and with this squad. Every player in this squad has played their part, and that's been the key factor this season. <laughs> so that was Sudan's. Uh, I've immediately forgotten what he said there. Yeah, he didn't say anything. He just said, great club, great players, great to be here, great achievement, great. Uh, you know, and, and, and what, it's as simple as that. There's nothing more to it. <laughs> we, could, we could analyze this. We could lose ourselves in analysis here. Oh, and, but Real Madrid have the best players and they have played the best football and they have won the competition. And we are going to lose ourselves in analysis with Miguel and Jonathan in a little while. So there, were, there, there was a few. The, the Financial Times like, yeah. on the day of the match uh, did some analysis, which was, which was kind of interesting Like in terms of they were looking at, you know, the sort of cliché uh, that there is in terms of, oh, it's tough. For, why are the English clubs so bad? Well, it's because their domestic league is so much tougher. And that does stand up to statistical analysis, as the, in terms of the Financial Times looked at it, uh, in a number of ways. Like, say, for instance, as a as a way of measuring how dominant a team is in a domestic league, let's look at the amount of time in their league games in which they're two or more goals ahead. And it turns out that for if you're Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich, the figure is about twenty five twenty five percent of the time you're coasting with a two goal lead. Um, which is not the case for the English clubs. It's a much smaller amount of the time. They're, you know, the games are the games that they're involved in are closer, a larger proportion of the time. They also don't. They looked at, say, for instance, the they compared the wage bill of a super club, uh, you know, a Spanish or Italian or German super club, to say the fifth team in that league, i.e., the first or the first team that doesn't get into the Champions League, and the median wage bill. And it's a really low differential in the Premier League. You know, it's much flatter there than for Barcelona, Madrid, Juventus, Bayern. In other words, these clubs actually can afford to sort of rest during the game. They are way bigger than the competition in the league. It's not really the case uh, for the Premier League. Uh, They're way bigger than the... uh, And they're they're usually thrashing their opponents out of sight. So, you know, you, you get strikers racking up 40, 50 goals and you have the opportunity to rest them. And in fact, a lot of the games aren't that testing. The Financial Times analysis seems to suggest that if you are one of the top players, it's more imperative than ever to play for Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus or Bayern Munich. You could play for Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City and be paid as much or more. But a lot of the time you're going to actually be involved in some draining... Uh, hard, a lot of hard work to do. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately it's not going to translate into, into success in the Champions League. You know, your your exhausted team will get knocked out uh, at some point, and it's not going to see. It's not going to translate into uh, a huge Ronaldo or Messi like goal tally. It's not going to translate into individual awards. If you are good enough, this is still the place to be. Even though uh, maybe the games, the league games, are of a lower standard, maybe the level isn't quite as high. But pre- precisely because of that, you might win the Champions League, or you're much more likely to do so uh, than a player with an English club. That was their analysis. You know, maybe it pads out. Uh, 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 thinking that, that a lot of people have. I want to hear about the boys of summer again last night. Our boys in green. <laughs> June is our month. Well, not the first. June is not our month. Huh? 
I was looking back through the June games. Oh, why are we playing friendly here in June? <laughs> why don't we just play the competitive game and then allow the players to, to <laughs> go? Uh, there are not too many classics when you look back over June friendly internationals. However, the Uruguay game ended up being about as good as you can really expect one of these ultra pointless games to be. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there were two magnificent goals. I mean, the Aviva Stadium, when you think back, is not a stadium where you've seen a lot of great shots fly into the net. There was Darren Gibson against Wales. Remember that one? Probably not. Uh, there haven't been too many. Uh, however, John Walters scored a magnificent, magnificent goal, and the McLean goal was even better. Uh, maybe a, a slightly simpler finish. I mean, you got, you, you got to remember that that Walters finish was ridiculous. You don't, you do not often see players score. This is like a, a Francesco Totti best goals compilation type of quality finish. Um, now he was helped. He was ably assisted by the Uruguayan player who sort of rolled it back to well, him. The Uruguayan player became confused because he expected Glenn Whelan to be able to do something better than he, than Whelan actually managed to do. He was taken by surprise by a, a poor piece of play. They both they surprised each other with their ineptitude. The ball rolled to Walters. Walters he had a he had a yard of space. Turned, whips it in over the goalkeeper uh, from long distance. Walters then nearly scored uh, Mario Mandzukic in the Champions League final. Like, it would have been Ireland's answer to that in terms of the quality of the move that led up to this stunning miss from two yards. Walters put the ball onto the bar, facing up and go from two yards. But, you know, the the great thing was the interplay. Christie to the far post. Brady, a great uh, ball back across. Unmissable chance misses it. But, you know, that's just that's football, isn't it? Uh, but the last goal was... was Brilliant. And mainly because, it, uh, don't forget what Daryl Murphy did. Daryl Murphy is not, when, when, the, when the ball sort of arrives and he, and he spins in his own half 10 yards out, you don't necessarily expect him to unlock the game. But he did, Owen. Uh, McLean then destroyed Jose Jimenez, who is a top defender. Um, uh, get away, got away from him, and then with zero doubt, it's like you know that that phrase, the, the Ferguson Van Persie, just if in doubt, just hit it as hard as you can. Well, you could you could say that advice to McLean, but what would be the use? You would have to explain the concept of doubt, and it would just he'd just be sitting there going, well, "But I don't understand." <laughs> like, like, what are you talking? About? It's like no, when you know when you're in a situation and you're just not really sure. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> he just, it's an amazing James McLean. <laughs> he's just like furrowed his, he's like, what? He he just uh what how can I say this, Kieran? Twatted it in. He did, he did. He did. There's, just no, there, other there's no other word for describe. it. Yeah. And it, in, in the same situation against Austria, he 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 found the same answer. It's just like, well, there's the goal. I'm just gonna blast the ball in. And and uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was magnificent, and it really gave people something to remember from the game because the game itself had not been good. I mean, the, you know, hadn't been, you know, really. You, it, you had been sitting there thinking, should I, you know, should we all even be here? Is well, there, are we not all wasting our time a bit? Have you ever been to a friendly and not thought that? I've, uh, they're they're almost. Friendlies during the season, though, are at least... It's like, okay, there's an international day. For whatever reason, we don't have a competitive game. But this is just completely gratuitous. Like, the season's over. It ended. Like, the Champions League final was yesterday. This is finished. Like, if we have to... If there are international dates, let them at least be a competitive game. So, the game will, will mean something. Well, yeah, but you've got to play. There's the competitive game next weekend. So, 
if we didn't play these, maybe the trip to Mexico seemed to be the trip to the US by Mexico seemed to be pointless in retrospect. But you, if you have the team together for a couple of weeks at the end of the season before your competitive game, mm. you're better off playing a friendly. Aside from any of the commercial concerns or anything like that, even for Martin O'Neill, I would imagine you need those focal points, or else it's just like a two-week training camp, which might get a little bit tedious. Yeah, I mean the. The, the problem is that a lot of a lot of the time the games aren't good enough to to base any decision on. However, in this case, there maybe there was a few there was a few things that you could see in this game which which you could use. I mean, the goalkeeper, the goalkeeping thing. I I think Westwood is going to be playing against. Is that a bit harsh on Randolph? He makes one mistake and suddenly I know it hasn't gone well at the club, but suddenly. But if Westwood forgotten how the, solid he's been for us, it's like O'Neill kept saying. He hasn't done anything wrong since yeah. he's come in. He's not done a lot wrong, the lad. I mean, what well, from the goalkeeping point of view, what happened in the game was, I mean, I, I appreciate that some of our listeners who, will u- who usually religiously follow the Ireland games may not have taken in yesterday's game. I, I, they may have missed the game. Everybody misses. You know, we're all human. Uh, what happened in the goalkeeping point of view was not a great deal, but Westwood, is, or essentially Randolph, made a mistake which led to Uruguay's goal. Came rushing out of his goal to try to mop up a free kick that was and he got nowhere near it and and Jimenez scored headed looped it in over him he was he was way out of the goal and he, he didn't get close to a ball that he went to, to try and get um, and there was also a he nearly gave away what would have been the stupidest goal ever conceded by uh, at at the Aviva Stadium by any team it would have I think beaten the, the time the San Marino or Gibraltar keeper smashed the ball in <laughs> off his own bar <laughs> I mean that was a crazy. That's 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 the dumbest goal I've seen conceded at, at TV. But this would have been the worst. It was he he basically played a square pass across his own goal to I guess it must have been Christie or maybe it was the maybe it was Duffy. I'm not sure which defender he was aiming for. But Edinson Cavani was right there and could have. I mean was an inch away from what would have been basically a tap in into an empty net that that Randolph would have given him, which wouldn't have been great. So that was all also a dodgy moment. Um, there was this, and then Westwood made a great save in the second half. You know, goal bound header, beautiful dive, saves it, saves it. Maybe it, maybe it was one for the cameras. Maybe it's the kind of save that's that impressed the likes of me. You know, ignorant people in the stadium who don't really understand goalkeeping go, "Oh, that looked great." But you know, um, O'Neill was saying things like, "Look, I know Kieran. He's a really talented goalkeeper. He's playing great," and. You know, obviously it wasn't great, but you can't. That you, you, you know, he, it wasn't like he was saying, "Oh, you know, Randolph has really cocked that one up," and you know, it, it, mistakes happen in football. Obviously, he was saying, but if you do have two, he was like, "It's great to have two talented goalkeepers." This is Martin O'Neill saying, but if you do have a player who's who's uh, in good form, who plays well, and then another player who's a bit maybe not in such good form and makes a mistake. If you're not going to make a decision based on that, then why is that? What is this, the point of this? With friend? goalkeepers, though, it's always a little bit different. I, I always find managers tend to be a bit more conservative with that selection. It, it's a, almost a bit of a statement to change your goalkeeper. And I don't know if they're superstitious about it or something. It just it often feels players to do a lot. A goalkeeper has to do more than an outfield player to play his way out of a team. Quite a lot of the time, and I don't know how much Randolph has done I'm, to play his way out. I'm just looking at that Gibraltar own goal from a couple of years back. Wes Hoolan, he makes it initially, he makes a save, this goalkeeper, possibly his only save of the night. The ball is parried to Wes Hoolan, who somehow manages to hit it directly against one of the two defenders on the line, mm. then comes back out, smashes into the goalkeeper's leg, chips back over the two defenders. He somehow manages to chip two defenders on his own 
you were on his own goal line and <laughs> goes in off the bar. That is some own goal. It was, ama- it was amazing. Oh, yeah. You don't often see a goalkeeper smash the ball into the I think he net. was substituted not long after that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was. I, I think I think you're right. I mean, that was the se- it ended up being 7-0. Seven, seven or was it 7-1? Seven? 7-1, seven one. Seven one, yeah. They scored a goal. Got what one. happened? I can't remember the I can't remember the goal, but so they did. Let's see if that's anywhere. They did strike back. Um, so yeah. So what has happened? Just in terms, you said there might be other Harry Arter. Harry Arter. Yeah. Let's talk about Harry Arter. Yeah, Harry we need to talk about Harry Arter. Harry Arter is excellent. You know, he's really good. He's really solid. He's really clever. Um, his control. Of the, I mean, we know all these things, but like it was again, it, it was really obvious. Uh, he's actually the best of that type of player that we've got. He's better than McCarthy. He's better than. He's obviously way better than Glenn Whelan. Glenn Whelan had some poor moments in the game, I thought. Um, you know, okay, his attacking isn't necessarily the... the um, when, when you talk about Glenn Whelan, we don't necessarily speak about the attacking side of his game as being the reason why he's in the team. However, there was a moment when it was Brady. Nice move by Ireland, Brady in from the right. Walters set it beautifully with a little flick. Whelan's running onto it. And just the shot was so bad... The shot was so poor. You think, how is that possible at this kind of level of of the game? I know that I know I'm not watching the Champions League final here. However, I'm watching international footballers, uh, you know, who have had a high level club careers. I mean, Whelan has been playing in the Premier League for like a decade. You know, he's an incredibly experienced Premier League player. Should be doing better than that. You know, he just dribbled the ball wide. It was poor. I mean, and and. Um, you know he's he's still in there. Obviously, every manager just keeps picking him. He's he's the pl- a player that managers love. But I just well. yeah, he's going to be well. He'll be picked. So if we're talking about the team for next Sunday night, he's going to be in there anyway. As as you say, managers should he be though? Like, I mean, if, you're, if you're going to play, if you're going to try and have, I suppose Brady was in a was in a wide position. Um, but you know, I, I guess McLean is going to play. Would is Long going to play? I mean, McLean is one hundred percent going to play yeah. on the left side. Does that mean you play Robbie Brady in the right? Would it be better if Robbie played? Would it be better to play a trio in midfield of Hendrick, Brady, and Arter? Well, that's a really good trio, but mm. I just don't know if that's going to happen. And Arter, I would have thought, has played his way in. It seems like he Arter's, actually, Arter's going to play, I think. But the question is, who else? Will do you need Whelan in that midfield as well? I mean, I guess Whelan, as you said, Whelan's going to play. Whether he should, there was a moment yesterday when convinced. yeah, where Arter chased down about four. Defenders about four Uruguayan defenders eventually wins the press four. Eventually wins the ball and is fouled for a free kick, is, which is something that almost no other Irish midfielder offers. Really, there aren't that many great tacklers in there. They, you know, Whelan is, is the main stopper, but he's not a guy. He he tends to play this disciplined positional kind of a role without necessarily getting stuck in like that. The thing is that Arthur has the this, the balance that he's as creative as pretty much any of them, aside from Wes Hulahan. And yet he gives you that as well. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's just that because he's gotten injured at awkward times for him, we don't see him necessarily as a starter in competitive games. But I think he probably should be at this stage. I don't know. You agree yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, he just oh, moves the ball. 100%. He just moves the I think ball so much quicker than any of our other midfielders. And that's that's really important. Like that's, that's The whole game, yeah. <laughs> effectively. The whole game is can you control and pass the ball quickly. That's basically what being a midfield <laughs> player is. And he's really good. I mean, Hula and I would also play. And... Uh, I mean, as usual, Ireland score a great goal, and Wes Hulin is is involved in the move. Even in this occasion, it's just a simple pass to Daryl Mur- or an interception and a simple pass. I say interception; that's 
maybe flattering a little bit. The Uruguayan player passed the ball straight to him. That was wasn't it was a very bad piece of play by Uruguay. But as usual, Hulin is there when we score a good goal. Um, so overall, yeah, I mean, like O'Neill afterwards was he was actually in really good form, much much more so than he usually is because he is a, he is the kind of guy who even if even if it's been a good result, he's not usually like he's trying to kind of gaslight you a little bit. You know, he's not he's not going in there and saying, hey, guys, you know, great to see you all. Let's talk about the game. That's just not Martin O'Neill's style. You know, he will stare. He will not he will not make eye contact with you. He will look at your hairline rather than your eyes. He'll do all these things to try and make you feel, I guess, insecure, mm. self-doubting. What's going on here? I don't really understand what's happening here. Um, working. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yesterday yesterday he was in uh, he was in great form. It's not like he was going, "Wow, we've just beaten Uruguay." You know, I am Mar- I am Miracle Martin. We just beat Uruguay in front. Well, he wasn't he wasn't doing that. He was saying, "Look, I, I'm not going to get carried away about the fact we we got." You know, hammered by Mexico in a, in a friendly, and equally, I'm not going to get carried away with the fact that we won this. However, it, it does feel good to win a game. I'm happy with the way a lot of players did. I've got a few things to think about. It was a worthwhile exercise. We may have been a little too kind to Gibraltar there, Ken. They did not, in fact, fire back at any point. It finished seven nil. <laughs> it was seven nil. Okay, the goal. The goal I was thinking of was probably the one scored by. Um, like Andorra in, in 2001. <laughs> I mean, these things just blend into blend into each other after a while. That's it for today's report on sport. Guys, you might start with Ronaldo, the best player in the world. Uh, it probably goes to prove that if you hang around long enough, score 600 goals and lead your club and country to scarcely believable levels of success, eventually everybody will pay you the respect you deserve, Miguel. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's interesting the fact about kind of hanging around. I remember thinking the same with, uh, with Robin in 2013, that he for years got this kind of tag as being a bottler. But then I suppose 
the more of these big games you play, eventually it's, you're, you're going to get to the point where you are going to get one of those big goals, uh, which is not to disparage Ronaldo, obviously. I think the, the big game thing was kind of vanished years ago. But in terms of the Champions League final, you know, obviously he scored but then missed a penalty in 2008. In 2014, he kind of he took what was perceived as kind of an easy penalty, almost the same in 2016. Whereas in this, finally, in this fourth final, he was very much the dominant figure in the game. Um, even when Juventus were ahead in the first 22 minutes, um, or sorry, not ahead, but when they were kind of dominant, mm. it was his run and then his finish that obviously opened the game, pretty much set things in motion from then. And obviously Juve in the back, back foot from that point. And then, I mean, although Casemiro scored the goal to put... Uh, Juventus uh, or put Real back ahead. It was Ronaldo's really that then finally won and completely killed them off. Um, I'd still bristle at the best player in the world comment, but I suppose maybe that's a, a wider debate. Come on, Miguel. If you're Leo Messi sitting at home watching that, assuming that you followed the European Championships as well and saw what happened there, you've got to be looking at it and saying, I, ca- I just can't compete with this guy. He's literally not as good a player as Messi. <laughs> he, can't, he can't do as much as a football. I mean, if we're, if we're breaking it down to the basics of what football talent is and when application football talent he, he's not as good as manipulating a football as, as Leo Messi this is desperate and stuff it, it, Miguel. It, sorry this, you're floundering there you remind me of Theresa May actually <laughs> <laughs> no it's not it's, it's absolutely true they just both happen to be in massively wealthy teams who they kind of push forward but, but Messi can do much more with football uh, Jonathan what do you what do you think um, has Ronaldo tilted it back uh, has, has Ronaldo won the argument so which argument He's the greatest. He's always wanted to oh, be not. the greatest, and now he is. Yeah, he's, he's not. Um, <laughs> I mean, even even on Saturday, when I, I sort of understand what Miguel's saying that he was the dominant presence in in that. Yeah, he he, he unlocked the game uh, when Juve appeared to be on top, and then you know a really good poacher's finish is sort of reminiscent of Michael Owen and his pump running across the near post. He, he touched the ball less than any outfield player who finished the game other than Gonzalo Higuain. Precisely. On, on That's precisely the point, is it? Not this evolution uh, into this killer the, finisher. Very, um, I mean, his, his evolution has gone contrary to the evolution of football generally. That, you know, we're now in an age of what Barry Lobanovsky called the universal player, that your centre-forward didn't just have to be able to finish, he also has to be able to, to pass the ball, to create chances, to hold the ball up, to, you know, to, to lead the press, to make tackles. Now, okay, Ronaldo can hold the ball up, and you know he he will set up the odd goal, but he's not he's not doing any pressing. He's not you know, winning the ball back. He's you know he's he's not doing any of those things that we've sort of been led to believe are essential in modern football. So you wonder how effective he would be in a team that wasn't Real Madrid. That they can sort of, I mean, carrying him is probably the wrong phrase because he obviously is such a brilliant finish and he is still capable of doing such extraordinary things in the box. But you wonder how effective that would be if he didn't have. Luka Modric or Marcelo, who for me were the best two players for Real Madrid on on, on Saturday, even even Benzema, uh, who you know okay he wasn't didn't have his best game on Saturday. But if you look to the second leg of the of the semi, you know, his runs in behind the fullback, all those things he used to associate Ronaldo with doing, other people are doing in that team. So the whole team is sort of set up to to put the ball on the plate to the best finish in the world at the moment. Now that's an, an old fashioned way of doing things, and Real Madrid are good enough to do it. But if you took him and put him in. PSG or even in Juventus, how effective would he be? Um, actually, with Juventus, he would be good. Uh, yeah. But at PSG, I, I, I wonder how effective he'd be. And, and so that's always my doubt with him. He's he's adapted himself to his environment, and I guess that's the only environment he has to adapt to. Well, I, 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 disagree. I think 
I think he does deserve a lot of credit, Ronaldo, for basically being so so football intelligent as well as that he's completely adapted his game to those conditions to make himself the best he can possibly be. And it is like even though he's probably not as as good a player in a quote unquote holistic sense than he was in say 2009 to 2012 when he'd so regularly pick up the ball 40 yards from goal, just tear forward and smash one in. He's he's made himself a more effective and better player because he's not as individual individualistic. Sorry. Um, but he's he's better for the team. He does more for the team, and he's he's scoring more effective goals. Yeah, it's funny. I, I still think he's better than Messi. Jonathan, uh, yeah, we we'll, we'll have to move on from that <laughs> at some point today. Uh, Jonathan made used the phrase "old fashioned" there, Miguel, and I guess that is what this Real Madrid team in general is. It's, it's sort of unashamedly old fashioned. They don't do anything particularly. I, I know you've been trying to get to the nub in your piece uh, yesterday of what exactly this team stands for. All, all these great teams that have won multiple European Cups, the first Real Madrid team, Ajax, mm. who, who pick pretty much any of them and you can think of some sort of defining characteristic and uh, to the, as recently as Barcelona, some sort of a lesson that can be learned for other yeah. clubs. Whereas with Madrid, it, that's not really there. They're just Real Madrid. They're just doing stuff the way they've always done it. And you can only really do that if you're Real Madrid or maybe one or two other leading clubs. Well, that's it. when you do something as historic as, or, or when, you, when you achieve something that is as difficult to do as historic as retaining the European Cup, all the teams that have done it, if you go right through, as you said there, if you go, as you go right through them, and I said it in my piece in The Independent this morning, uh, there's, there's some sort of defining feature, some sort of new idea or something innovative that they've done to kind of bring them on to that level, to kind of cut the rest of the game out. Maybe the only one it doesn't quite stand for is Bayern, but even that was almost, after Ajax, the first kind of you know core team of these just you know constant winners like you know, Beckenbauer and Muller. But this Real, I mean, what, what is the defining character? It's basically, they fought after a decade of trying under Perez and, and other presidents, they've essentially just thrown enough money at the problem to get it right. And, I may, and well, maybe that is the lesson, that finance still and clout trumps ultimately trumps everything in football. That's still the biggest factor. Because they've basically just got a load of brilliant players together and made it work. I mean, I mean that's, that sounds disparaging, but I mean, it, it, they're still obviously a brilliant team because of it. Um, I, don't, I think you could argue that they don't seem to have an overarching football idea or philosophy, say, but yet, at the same time, when you have players as intelligent as Modric and Cruz in the middle of the pitch, they're, they're so good and have such an awareness that they will actually impose an idea on you, even if there's none from kind of the club or the management. Um, and I mean, that, that kind of sums it up as well, though. I mean, I think most of the elite clubs in the world, even Barcelona, could do with one of particularly Modric and Cruz at the moment. Bar- Real Madrid of two of them could afford to leave the second most expensive player in the world on the bench and then the previous World Cup star, James Rodriguez, out of the squad altogether. Yeah. I, it's interesting, though, Jonathan, because cause Real Madrid have actually played some great football in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Like They, yeah. they have actually been really good. Um, and I thought, you know, they, they they had some magnificent spells of play and control, uh, you know, just lovely passing, kind of style, it was a stylish performance. It wasn't like, uh, I mean, they have won two Champions Leagues in recent seasons, but they were kind of clinging on in those finals at various points. They didn't really, you didn't really get the sense that, wow, here's a team that can really play. And so, so something has changed there, is what I'm saying. I mean, Tony Kroos arrived in, in 2014, Modric two years before that, um, it's only now that this has really taken off. So I wonder, Jonathan, if, if we have to look at Zinedine Zidane and go, maybe um, somewhere in this in this bald head, uh, big thoughts are taking place. You know, this guy knows what he's doing. He may be the most boring 
uh, drone that you've ever seen doing a press conference. But whatever it is he's doing is working. I mean, there's no maybe about it. He is the most boring drone I've ever seen doing a press conference. Um, you know, he's, he's no Sam Allardyce in that regard. Um, I, I mean, they, they, yeah, you're, you're absolutely What's right. They... This, this is the best of the uh, best of the three recent Champions Leagues by by a million miles. And you know, last year, the draw sort of opened up for them that they, you know, they they played a, a pretty timorous Roma in the last sixteen. Um, they, they, I mean, they they tried to mess it up against Wolfsburg in the quarterfinal, and then they played a, a Manchester City side who, you know, were oddly supine in in, in the semi. Whereas this time, yeah, they had to beat three really good sides just to get to the final with with Napoli and then Bayern and, and Atletico again. And then Juve probably you know, were, were the second best team in Europe this season. So, you know, they, they've done it the hard way. You can't you can't really deny they're the best side in Europe at the moment. Um, and I guess Zidane does have to take credit for that. Um, quite what he does in a tactical sense, I'm I'm not sure. But maybe management's not just about that. I mean, what everybody seems to agree is that he is a much better politician than we perhaps were expecting. Uh, that he's been able to persuade Ronaldo uh, that he doesn't have to play every minute of every game. So he, he's been more rested and, and been more effective as a result. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a huge number of players. You, you, you sort of think of that Real Madrid side and you can sort of pretty much name the the eleven. But actually, there's a, there's a lot of them have played over a thousand minutes this season. You know, he has spread it around well. And I think recently where, where they've really kicked on is when, when Isco's coming to the side. I mean, uh, Miguel talks about leaving Gareth Bale, like leaving out the second most expensive player in the world. And I guess that is a, a sense of their, of their strength and depth. But they're actually a better team without him. Yeah. That it's, it's the intelligence of Isco and Modric and Cruz that sort of binds everything together, all these individuals. Um, uh, you know, the three of them have enough collective intelligence to, to make it work. And I think when Bale's there, that, that's, that's not quite the case. Miguel? Also, I think this is also an issue of kind of um, clubs of the, or clubs and teams of this size. Now. I mean, we've gone on the past with the, uh, this podcast about kind of lionising Mauricio Pochettino and things like that. Mm. I'm not sure Pochettino's approach would work with that Real Madrid squad. In fact, I think it could actually lead to maybe not a disaster, but the, the politics of it would certainly be interesting. No, it'd be, it'd suddenly... be like it'd be like Benitez. You know, along, yeah, along all, those kinds all of these lines. massive stars. Hang on, you want us to run that much? Whereas what kind of is it? Maybe maybe what what requires at that level is just the kind of the little nuance. And I think I think to be fair, Zidane. I mean, but, but, uh, the flip side is, if Zidane was put into any other job, I'm not sure how well he'd do because we don't really know what he's good at. But we do know he's good at these kind of little touches. Even the few things that have come this season, like for example, I suppose, ultimately having the bravery and personality as opposed to push with Isco. Now that was maybe eased by Bale's injury, but still the decision was made and it was growing up even before Bale got in- injured. Then, of course, there was having the authority to <laughs> massage Ronaldo's personality enough to basically get him to rest himself more so that he could be fit enough for games like Saturday. And then finally, even we, like, we got Modric in the mix on afterwards and we, were, we basically just asked him, so what, I mean, you're, you're, you and Crew is almost the key to this team. What does Zidane actually tell you to do? And he says, oh, well, at half time, he just told us to get out of the ball more, be more aggressive, to express ourselves. And kind of Ronaldo kind of said, uh, said what amounted to the same thing. Said, oh, he tr- transmitted his belief to us. And I mean, they, they, they do sound kind of like vague, empty generalizations. But it sounds yeah, like Mick McCarthy, probably, like. They, sorry? It sounds like Mick McCarthy, you know, hot Yeah, but uh, that, that, that probably does work. You know, in, in the right context, it's, it's actually very beneficial. I think this is a perfect context for that. And Zidane, I mean, I, I would still be, I still would have been somewhat critical of him, but you have to accept 
that I think he's done a good job in the circumstances given, which is pretty much any manager can do. So there as is evidence of the fact that he's just won two European Cups. A there, great job. There is this sort of, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, there is this sort of idea that, you know, uh, oh, the best players don't make the best managers. And, you know, we've, we've talked about that a million times. Um, but actually, maybe when you get to the very sort of top level, they are the best managers or the, they're kind of the only managers that, that like that you know a club like Real Madrid almost needs to have some sort of uh, superstar in the dugout who's on the same kind of fame level as the players yeah. well, like it can't, well, that was, I mean it was always the joke among the Real players when Benitez would, was was the manager there that they would openly laugh at him and call him the, the number 10 you know the playmaker because he would you'd be giving them advice on how to how to control the ball and what foot to kick with yeah i mean but they did they did the same with Reno. I mean, Mourinho, in fairness, does have like plenty of swagger. You know, he he is yeah, yeah, he, he is a kind of charismatic type of guy. But uh, they laughed at him when he or or mocked him when he told them how to market corners and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was Ramos. Um, yes, I suppose I suppose it's valid. I mean, there's also an interesting wider debate that Real actually got their their last kind of proper systems manager or kind of you know one of these overarching managerial figures was Mourinho. They got rid of him and then went on to finally do what they did because they they probably got it right in the in the sense of having like Ancelotti is almost kind of the perfect sort of manager for that club because he he symbolizes and, and applies all of these things mm. and maybe isn't as kind of stringent about a system. Jonathan Juventus obviously were right in this game and they were they started like uh, well they were started like a bit of a train really they conceded the goal all right but then got this wonder goal to equalize and looked strong looked like they were really competing. Are they getting away with it a little bit? Like their second half collapse, which is what it was. It's not as though Real Madrid actually had to do a huge amount to turn the game around. You and you could see it in the face of Buffon. I think he said it afterwards. He doesn't know. He can't explain exactly what happened. It looked like he was shocked as to how this incredible defense and this incredible unit just fell apart under a small amount of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally true. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, that happened. I mean. Real Madrid clearly were more aggressive after half time, and I mean that in a you know a physical sense. So I think it was two bookings in the first fourteen minutes after half time, and they, um, I think Marcelo got away with quite a late tackle as well. So it, the, the, it, it seemed like there'd been some kind of message to to the Madrid to leave their feet in, um, because it was yeah there was the three quite bad tackles in that first fifteen minutes, and then you know a freakish goal flies in from Casemiro, takes a deflection that goes in yeah goes at some pace in a tiny space between the post and Buffon's hand. And then to concede the other one, you know, the next one three minutes later, and then they just sort of folded. But I wonder if it's a case, and I think this is a problem for, for, for super clubs, for teams like Juventus. And I think we've seen it with Bayern Munich in the past as well, maybe with PSG, that when you dominate your, your domestic league so absolutely, um, you sort of forget how to compete. You forget how to be in a battle. And I think they were just looked a bit surprised by a team actually standing up to them and, and taking them on and you know, not just sort of trying to kick them, but trying to kick them and also being very good at football. They didn't really seem to have a have a response to that. Yeah, I always think Italian teams, especially have quite a logical attitude to a game, whereby if they go behind in the second half, they just assume that it's game over now. So, you know, if this was if we were playing another Italian team, we the game is finished now, so it's just up to us to handle defeat with the, with what grace we can. But just lastly, Miguel, I, I want to. I think you were talking to Bale afterwards briefly um, in a mix yeah. zone. I, I mean, what what would you be advising him to do at this point? He has 
Gone to Real Madrid, you know, set a world transfer record, won three Champions Leagues in four years. Trophy-wise, it's been a stunning success, this move. He's clearly no longer a member of Real Madrid's best team, which, for a player of Bale's quality, it seems wrong to me. It's, I think that he should be one of the most important players in, in whatever team he plays for. And if that's not going to be the case at Real Madrid, I, I think uh, it might be time for him... To leave there. I mean, this is just my view of it. Yeah. I think in the Premier League, he would be a phenomenal, or has been a phenomenal player, would I think have much more respect from fans of whichever club he was playing for in the Premier League because they would remember what he had done there. I mean, it seems to me sometimes he, you know, he went to Spain and, and all the stuff that he did for Tottenham, you know, in the Premier League didn't really count because it's not like they were watching. They were kind of like, well, you know, what are you going to do to impress us now, Bale? And he scores 20 goals and Ronaldo scores 50. And, you know, just 20 goals is good, but not when the other guy has scored 50. So so would you be suggesting to him that now might be a good time to, to get back uh, to the Premier League or, or should you just keep going and hope to hope to actually become the, the next Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, I mean, the next Ronaldo thing is an interesting one, that's it. Because I suppose when you think about it, even though obviously he was kind of the big shiny thing that Perez wanted at that point, but there was still a... a a certain logic to it from a football perspective because the power in in Bale's game was reminiscent of Ronaldo at that point. Maybe there, there was a bit of thought that he could be Ronaldo's logical successor, except what's actually happened then is Ronaldo has changed his game and Real have changed theirs. So when Bale plays, it basically just makes the team. It's not it's not his fault, but just because of, because of the structure outside, when he plays rather than Isco, they suddenly become this collection of individuals and they put in kind of these overall unconvincing performances that is suddenly won by one of their great players just suddenly deciding to do something like Bale or Ronaldo yet when Isco plays it suddenly just kind of it causes it all to link together so it's just it's not his fault it's nothing to do with how good Bale is but just there isn't that an obvious place from the team um, so I mean it ultimately comes down I suppose whether he wants to wait or you know see, see how things develop you know it is Real Madrid there's so many politics you never know what's going to happen there or see what happens with Ronaldo or else he takes the push. I, I, I agree with you. I think he should be the focal point of any team he plays for, really. It's, I think James Rodriguez actually has a similar situation. And that, that does show the kind of the question that a lot of players probably should ask themselves when moving to Madrid in the first place. Not, not Bayern Athens, because it's obviously been a success. But they're, they're, they're kind of the holy grail for a lot of players. And that's the level you want to get to Real. Just the status of being there and what you'll win there. And yet... If you go there at the wrong point in your career, it could actually kind of ruin you for a bit. And that's happened with James. You know, he was kind of the, the crown prince of football in 2014 and has kind of done nothing there and now kind of finds himself in the wilderness. And what, but while Bale is obviously in a much better situation, he should be the focal point somewhere. Now, we, we know United are interested and they have been for years. Woodward obviously always, always wants a flashy signing. Um, from what I've heard, per- Perez still loves Bale and wouldn't want to sell him. Um, but there are kind of increasing factions among the Madrid boardroom that are trying to persuade him otherwise and think it would be a good idea because they want to push for the next flashy thing who at, this, at the moment looks like it's going to be Mbappe or Hazard. Okay, listen, we'll leave it there, Miguel. That's great. Jonathan Wilson, thanks very much as well. Thanks for all your help this season. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. FIFA made a movie recently. Did uh, they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Zach Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible. But the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too. Don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We're one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that.
<laughs> and you said? And I said, what I do? And that was it. We wanted to explain it. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. there were some expletive used. We came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for the night. And you've used a bigger there. Well done to you. Yeah, so it certainly sounds as though Zanini Zidane's halftime message isn't going to go down in the annals, uh, I don't think. Seems basic enough, as we suspected. Get, get into them, lads. Get stuck in there. Maybe Express leave a foot yourselves. In. Enjoy it. <laughs> okay, Zizou. I always think we'll expre- express yourself as a Vegas thing. But it sounds like we're slagging Zidane up. He's obviously been amazing. It could just be one of those managerial careers that we can never quite work out what's amazing about it, aside from the fact that he wins trophies Well, yeah, I mean, it's, with it's, his team. It's... Uh, how our view of management has evolved is if the guy is brilliant at uh, tactical setups we elevate that and if he appears to be good at making people feel good about themselves we say well that's obvious that's the easy bit I mean mean, it's easy it's easy just you know like (laughs) you know play some upbeat music in the dressing room and you know make people feel good and they'll go out and play but it's actually really really hard uh, and it's Nowhere is it harder than at Real Madrid. So, you know, you got to give the guys props. You guys keep talking there. I'm just going to see what's going on outside. What's here. happening out there? Yeah. The Speaking of upbeat music, we'll, we'll just hear what's going on. I think, it's, I think it's about to start. I mean, I, I, I don't know how. I think I saw when it flashed up there, like, it's starting in like 20 minutes or something. Can you hear that? Can our listeners hear that? There's a public address going on. They've turned off the music. Yeah. Which, which is a pity. It well, is a well, that is disappointing because there was music playing a couple of moments ago and I thought I was going to open the window to yeah. this amazing atmospheric end to our show. <laughs> now, a short five-minute word from our, uh, <laughs> from our sponsors. This hasn't worked out so well. No. Oh, well, all right. Eden Hazard broke his ankle, by the way. That's what? a bit of a sickener. Yeah, playing... Uh, well, like, he, close the with, window, there's not much going on out there. He's with, Yeah. No, we'll leave it, leave it. No, I'll leave it. I'll he leave was it. training with, uh, with Belgium, so he's broken his ankle. And a broken ankle is a serious injury. It's, it's not a... It's not a small injury. I mean, it's like, um, it, it's. I mean, uh, Wenger is somebody who talks about it a lot mm. as the worst injury really a footballer can get. People always say, oh, cruciate ligament injuries. Cruciate ligament injuries are bad and keep you out for a long time. On the other hand, they can be, oh, sorry, Simon, sorry, sorry. They kept Simon it's out for two days. Six to six 12, to 12 months. months for man in late 30s not rehabbing it. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's closer to the six months. Late 30s is generous. Somebody missed Simon's 40th birthday last year, but uh, continue again. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so healthy looking old. It's very hard to remember. But look, uh, yeah, so, so that's not good. I know, and obviously, I mean, what Miguel was just saying to us there um, in terms of if he, he's the next shiny thing that uh, maybe Real Madrid want, but this is, this is a, a bad time for him to be injured. You know, it's like, okay, what kind of condition is he going to come back in? You know, is he going to start the rest? Is he going to start next season? I mean, they're talking about two or three months, but it's a complicated one. Um, so it could it's it's an injury I'm saying, which could uh, not as in addition to being bad for Eden Hazard and for Chelsea, uh, could have some knock-on effects in terms of w- which players end up at which clubs next uh, season. Right, no, seriously, we better stop recording now because I have no idea if we can get through out there once the race actually starts. It's <laughs> pretty much on our doorstep, so if we oh, don't leave now, we could be stuck here for quite mm. a few hours. Mm. So uh, we better better get out of here. Could even sneak in. I think they frown upon that these days. Uh, yeah, they do. There used to be a lot of men dressing up as women yeah, and running. That. I don't think they're they've cut back on that yeah. big okay, time. So maybe Didn't John Giles tell me to do that one time? Oh, did yeah. he? Yeah, he did, yeah. He told you to run the... Flora, oh, uh, will he be uh, running the uh, mini marathon there, Ken? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 